All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Staff for three o'clock. Welcome back Thursday afternoon. It's a Gregor show presented by PlayAlberta.ca, where, of course, you can get in the game. Use the promo code SPORTS50 if you want to, want to try it for the first time. And if you've already played it, guess what? Uh, go to PlayAlberta.ca. You have all the games you can bet on. They have all of the uh, the parlay action. Now you got odds boosts. You can do an in-game if you like, but also grand for a day. You could win a 1000 bucks a day for 20 years. We did the math. It's uh, $7.2 million. Not bad. It's very subtle, right? Uh, you don't even have to announce it probably publicly if you win that. Big money because people are like, oh, a thousand bucks a day. You just do to do. Hey, how's your work going? Oh, pretty good. Yeah, had a good month. Oh, yeah, made 30 grand. Not bad. Not bad at all. And maybe your job would be that you just have to ride your bike. Say, you know what? I'd rather, I'd rather go pick up the check. That'll be my job. I want to go pick up the thousand dollars every day. That could be your job. 30 grand a month. Pretty good job. I'd have a lot of time to go biking. Working out. Maybe you become a chef, do a little cooking. I'd be a professional napper for sure. It's a one thing, man. I I look most forward to retirement simply so I can nap every day. I love naps. I will, I'll never get tired of a nap. I think it's fantastic. I know in uh, in Europe and a lot of places like in Italy, they nap every day. Doesn't matter your age. If there's one thing I would like to incorporate in our society, it would be that that we all nap at like one o'clock every day. Forty five minute nap. Oh. Amazing. Welcome to the show. Former NHLer. First round draft pick of the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Of course, a two-time author. Uh, He's an actor. Just uh, wrapped up uh, filming of uh, season three in Shores. He's got a few other things uh, on the go. 
is our Monday and Thursday uh, co-host on the show. Terry Ryan joins us. TR, how you doing, my man? I like the hat. Uh, thank you. It's uh, doing all right. It's good to be with you, and I'll let you know, much to your chagrin, I do nap every day. I nap every day. Every day? You... Wow. Every single day. That is but a- I get up now, Gregor, I get up at about 5 a.m. Yeah, yeah. And then by about 8, it's time to drive Penny Lane to school. Uh-huh. And so I do a lot of work in that time, whether it's the cameos or, or research for my podcast or for this show. And uh, then I take my nap. When I get back, I have a little bit of breakfast, maybe a coffee, Ooh. and I get back here. Now, how long is your nap? An hour. An hour, yeah. It might go an hour and a half. Yeah. Like, it's know, amazing, I, isn't yeah. it? Like, I'm jealous. I would love to nap. Right? I it think really, like, I love, at first, what would happen is that I have, when I have a lot on my mind, and I told you I get nervous energy, but I know how to deal with it, and I actually like, bring it on, you know, because I like transforming it. I like harnessing that energy. So what would happen is that I would get up to pee in the middle of the night, and I could, I would waste an hour trying to get back to sleep and, you know, everything from like NyQuil to like turning, putting on fan noise and like turning off all the lights and having this. And I was like, what am I doing? I'll just use this time to my advantage. And I love a nice nap. And then I feel energized. And by the second part of the day, which I'm in right now, I feel more efficient. So I use the nap to my advantage. It's not like a lazy nap. Uh, so now this, I, I have a random question that we're going to ask our texters today. Uh, and I'll give you the example that I have. And then we're going to get into the orders and a few other things. But um, so there's, as you evolve in life, you know, you learn different things. And there's one thing I've learned, and, and it's a very simple thing that I don't know why I didn't know it beforehand. But I look back on my time when I was a bachelor living by myself and you got to clean your place all the time. And so now when I have a shower, you know how you have the chrome and it's all on, you know, your shower head and everything else like that. And so, you know, I'd get out of the shower. I would just, you know, close the door, whatever, and leave. And then you got to go and you're trying to scrub that. And you got all the stuff sticking on. It was the worst thing to try to clean on your faucet and everything like that. Now, after every shower, I just take my towel. My wife taught me this many years ago. And she goes, yeah, just wipe it with a towel right after you're out of the shower. And then it's clean. And then you never, like, there's never any mildew. It never builds up. There's none of the droplets that get stained on it. It's unbelievable. It takes me literally five seconds after every shower, considering about how much time I used to waste to have to clean it. And I'm like, it's a small thing, but I'm like, God, I wish I would have known this when I was 20. It's unbelievable. It's such a game changer for me. So is there anything you have learned in the last few years? You're like, man, it's a small thing. But I wish I would have learned it earlier in my life because it really is a game saver or a time saver for me. Wow, that is a great question. That would probably re- require some thought. Yeah, well, you can think about it and maybe I get to the I next have one. To change a tire till recently. What? That, that... You just learned how to change a tire. Well, I saw people do it, and <laughs> if pressed, I probably yeah, it was it was a pl- we had a thing here called Snowmageddon. Yeah. It was the most snow. It was crazy. It was right, right before the pandemic, like okay. a month maybe. Yeah. So that was a really odd winter for many reasons extra here. Like the snowmageddon was crazy. I mean, a quick Google search. I don't know how many centimeters, but it was like triple. Oh, the, I remember the seeing period. pictures, man. Like it was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you, there were streets or cars. Like there was like three feet of snow on cars. I like, just packed. It was just like you're digging out of that for weeks. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and it was almost ah, how do I like it, it? It was sensational. Like it was it was I mean, like really, really stimulating the senses. You'd come out and it was on like 
it was like you knew it was a snow day, but it was more than that, and everybody needed help. And so, you know, there was people out in the streets, you know, in Newfoundland too. A lot of people going around with some beers and Christmas say ish cheer kind of kind of thing, and toboggans, uh, skidoo's going up and down the roads, and it, it ended up being a little bit of fun. The snow came, and it's not like it was a storm for a week. It was a major storm for like three days, and then we dealt with it for another week. So. Uh, that and during that time, a lot of people needed help. Me and my buddies would go out with our shovels, you know, maybe go in for a drink, wherever so, to the neighbor's place. We don't know who they are. Keep moving on, you know. Like each day was kind of like that. And I had to, uh, yeah, I had to help somebody out, and that was changing a tire. So I figured it out, but I'd never really done it. I don't know. That's not really answering your question, but it's a long time in life to to go without changing a tire. Yeah, well, hey, you know what? Uh, good for you. So that's a good skill set to learn uh, later in life because uh, I know there's lots of people um, who don't know how to change a tire that are listening to the show right now. Like if I was asked people honestly to say text yeah. in, do you know how to change a tire? Like if all of a sudden you and there's no one around, you can't call AMA or any of the other services, right? Can't You can't go to Fountain Tire, right? So Fountain yeah. Tire is closed down. You can't case. go just for one day. Yeah. Could you change a tire? I wanted people like, do you know how to properly jack up your car? Where do you jack it up? Like, I, I'm, I'd be curious how many people, if they were honest, who are listening right now, who would text in and say, yes, I can. No, I can't. And be honest. I'm guaranteeing you, I'm going to say 20 to 20, 20 to 30% of people, adults that are, that is, don't know how to change a tire. And that Probably might be low. You're right. You know, now my, my, I remember my grandfather showing me when I was like 10 mm-hmm. and I, I appreciate his willingness to help, but I mean, it went in one in and out the other. So I saw, and I, I, I knew what each thing was. I yeah. know what the Jack is, you know, I know <laughs> the spare tire looks like this, but I'd never actually done it. And it did, it was longer than it, it took. But now oddly enough, since I've actually had to, had to use my skills twice. Once just this summer, I was with my daughter and the tire went on the highway. Oh, there you go. Um, and to elaborate on something, I, I'm sure there are all kinds of things that will enter the equation here. But for me, with the uh, I, I'm not sponsored or anything by these guys, but the HelloFresh type stuff, you know, when you when you order the food mm-hmm. that comes, then I find I'm forced to learn things about cooking that I should have known before. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Cooking skills are something we should. Well, not all, because I know they're, they're good cooks and good, lots of people like to cook. But man, it is uh, having having better cooking skills is a huge skill set that uh, like I, I can get around. I can do most stuff. But uh, but I'm also lucky because I don't. I can eat the same thing, you know, four days in a row. I can barbecue chicken and then I would just barbecue five of them and then I would eat one every day, right? And make yeah, one big exactly salad. Exactly what I would do. Pretty simple. But uh, I probably should be more diverse in my cooking for sure. Now, uh, since we spoke. To TR, um, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that jazz. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers have won six in a row. Uh, they're rolling. Uh, McLeod and, and Fogel are playing on the on the second line right now. Uh, Ryan McLeod has uh, has is going to. He's not just going to the net. He's going to the open areas in front of the net. And uh, yeah. you know he has he had nine inner slot shots in his first twenty eight games and had one goal on those nine shots. And in the uh, in the six uh, seven games since he now has five inner slot shots and four of them are goals. Like I'm, I'm not a I'm not a mathematician, but it's it's pretty clear where the goals are in the NHL. It really is. And you know when this hit home the other night, like I thought about there are a lot of guys. Like imagine if John Tavares, who's not overly tough. I don't think he's ever dropped his gloves, but imagine if he didn't go to the front of the net. 
Like he gets a lot of goals in front of there. Yeah. Like Sidney Crosby's a superstar, but how many does he get? See, even the other night, like when the puck goes to the point, his instinct is to get down on all four, on nearly all fours. So if if nothing, the puck will hit him and go bounce in, and that's what happened the other night. I'm like, wow. Some people are just vicious at it, but McLeod is doing it a lot more now. I would think you're playing with some good players. Here's an opportunity. So there's a little bit of those footsteps you're hearing too. If I'm not going to do it now, I'm never going to do it. And you know, sometimes you're a lot braver when you got, um, you know, authority figures on the team, people that you look up to that you're playing actually playing with, as opposed to uh, you know on the same line, as opposed to on the same team. So I think there's a few reasons. Maybe he's just growing into himself. Maybe he hears this podcast. But it's beautiful to see a player like that with so much talent and speed go to the front of those net that, that net because a lot of these goals, it's just a matter of going there in the first place. I mean, a lot of tap-ins, right? Yeah, and he's also, you know what, on two of them, he showed really good patience, you know, waiting the guy out, sliding across the slot area, and then that's what confidence does. But what I've noticed is I really – now, maybe it's because he's playing wing and maybe because Drysaddle's the guy who has the puck more – but I really haven't seen Ryan McLeod come bolting in the offensive zone TR and just take the lane behind the net, right? We re- I really haven't seen that in six games from him. And that used to be a staple. McLeod's got the puck going. Let me guess where he's going to go. And now he's not doing that, right? And, it, you know, so more confidence going to the slot. Maybe it's a little bit because Drysaddle carries the puck more. I'm sure that's a factor in it. But I, I definitely just, I haven't seen that from him. And I think that's that's a real big step. And I think... You know what, uh, the next one for him, and I talked to him about it today, and we'll play the interview a little bit later on, about how you know he's been watching video a lot of just, okay, where am I, where was I going, and where should I be going? Right? He's been watching video of himself because obviously there's been a big improvement on, on going, and not just to the net, but to the opening. Because we can just say, okay, go to the net and stand in front of the net. Like He's never going to be Ryan Smith who lived around the crease, right? Like certain guys do that. Zach Hyman's kind of that guy, right? But even Zach Hyman, if you watch him, you know, he's worked on other things. He's He's got more goals from a little bit more distance this year. Not a ton of distance. It's not his game. But, you know, he bangs around. McLeod, I don't think, is ever going to be that guy, and that's fine. But at least he's learned kind of how to, like I looked at that goal in Anaheim. Right, he goes to the front of the net, and then he's like, "No, I'm in too close." And he just backs out three feet. Boom, takes the puck. Now he's in a great yeah. shooting lane. Boom, into the net. Right, like it's there is something like you got to have some of the, I guess, the hockey instincts on to learn to read the play. So I want to ask you about that. Like as a forward, learning to find the soft spot. How'd you do it? Yeah, I love that you bring that up. There's a lot of layers to it because often. Like, you can tell McLeod is an adaptable, he's got a high hockey IQ. You can tell that. I mean, not just from his numbers in the past, in junior and stuff. I mean, because often, you know, a player that's a third or fourth liner could kind of bring a player like Dreisaitl down to their level, or at least to some degree, right? Um, Not every Gretzky plays with Curry. Like, you know, it just isn't a match immediately, and... It's not always the most skill to deal with. So when you juggle up the lines and you get a guy like that that you know is fairly – he's got a big hockey IQ, of course, coming in. He wouldn't be in the NHL, and he's had decent numbers in the past. But is he going to work with one of the best players in the league? Who knows? And it goes to show, you know, be, I, I didn't realize he was open about looking at the tape. It makes sense because, like you said, he's not trying that as much. He's slowing down. He's starting to hit holes, and you can see him think. I don't know if you could see him think a lot before, but you can start to see him think when he's playing with Drysdale. This is what you need to do. So I, I wouldn't have thought it at the beginning. <laughs> if you'd said this, though it doesn't surprise me uh, looking at it now after it's already happened. And, you know, Fogel's out there a lot with those guys. And, man, I don't know. He's way faster than I thought. 
And and I, I what I think as a player, look 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 if 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 I find often a, a player like Dreisaitl that's so smart, if he's playing with players that push the play that are fast, then even a little bit more space will open up. And if those players realize that he's driving, he's the stir stick, and he needs it most of the time, if not all the time, like then they'll probably succeed a little bit more. And I, I that's just what I see in my in the short time I've been watching this. I find that McLeod, his speed is becoming an asset because there's more ice that's open. Yeah, well, he creates space with his speed, right? Him and Fogelin. Really you know, Fogel talked about how Drysaddle told both of them, hey, guys, when you have the puck on your stick, you're big, you're fast. Don't just throw it away. Don't always have to dump it in. Look to make plays. And it, it's a mindset, right? And, you know, McLeod talked about that. He goes, hey, when you're on the third line, there's, he goes, oh, I'm on the second line. I feel like I got to create more offense. Whereas I'm on the third line, it's like, hey, just energy. Don't get scored on. But I'm like, yeah, but you should have the same mindset, even if you're a third line guy. When you get the puck, if you have it, then guess what? You don't have to worry about them scoring because you have the puck. So um, it would be interesting to see, you know, if he plays there for two or three months and then he goes back to the third line, how it could benefit him just by being someone who's like, okay, I got confidence now. And guess what? Even if I'm on the third line, I'm going to maintain the puck more. And if we maintain the puck more, we got a better chance of lowering our uh, goals against. Uh, 323, Jason Gregor, Terry Ryan with you. Lots of texts coming in, uh, some tire changers. Uh, I appreciate the honesty. Quite a few of you non-tire changers. We'll get to that when we return to the Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Rolling through a lovely Thursday afternoon. How are you, Jason Gregor? Terry Ryan, Connor Halley along for the drive. As always, we appreciate you sharing your day with us, whether you're on Orders Nation YouTube, uh, listening to Sports 1440, you got us on the app, uh, maybe you're online, you're streaming it, you got it in your house. Love it. Lots of ways to consume the show. We appreciate you picking yours. All the shows, courtesy of PlayAlberta.ca. A, uh, Edmonton Orders, a uh, night off, but a very busy night in the uh, NHL. And the Orders are having their skills competition tonight, so it's technically uh, not a night off, but a lot more relaxing atmosphere for the Orders tonight down at uh, Rogers Place. As we go around the NHL, brought to you by McDonald's and the new Hot Honey McCrispy is here for a limited time. Juicy, tender seasoned chicken, shredded lettuce, crispy jalapenos, and the Hot Honey Sauce. Try it now only at McDonald's is uh, Dan Rosen from NHL.com joins us. And uh, Dan, I have to ask you, uh, you know, the, the NHL was interesting. I, I look at other leagues and, you know, at times there still seems to be the NHL's like, well, geez, you know, we don't necessarily ever, I rarely see players commenting on social media about great plays or videos of others where the NBA guys do it all the time and NFL players do it, but you don't only see NHL guys do that. And, you know, even some, like John Tortorella is asked about Connor McDavid, really a softball question. And he's just, well, I don't talk about the other team. Like, I still think the NHL at times gets in their own way of just, you know what? If you want your fans to be passionate about the game and you say you're all fans of hockey, then feel free to be a fan of some good plays that you see around the league. And the guys are a fan of good plays that they see around the league. There's just a reluctancy to talk about it publicly for whatever reason. I think it's a culture. I think it's how it's brought up. It's very much a team-oriented game, which we love about the game. And it's very much a, the dressing room matters. And it's a sacred area. Uh, and what happens there, and we focus on ours. And we don't worry about theirs. And there is all that. Uh, but I agree with you. Uh, listen, I, I 100% agree with you. I, I think we should have – I think the, the more we're talking about the greatness of our players and if it's the great – if it's people in the league talking about the greatness of our players and not commenting on the league but in the league, 
I think it's even better because it, it lends even more credibility, uh, if you will, uh, when you know when you've got a player or a coach who's coached or played in in so many games and has been around that that sees things that you know kind of blow his hair back a little bit if he's got it right. Um, talk about it. I, I'm 100 percent in agreement with you, but I think it does go back to the culture of the game a little bit and how it's, how, how guys in this game are brought up, and um, it's also part of what we love about that game about the game too. We've seen a few teams turning around. Carolina, uh, not that they were really playing poorly, but uh, they're heating up and they're closing the gap on the Rangers. And uh, the Edmonton Order is obviously the hottest team in the NHL now over the last two months. Um, what do you make of the Canes and the Order's resurgence? And uh, are yeah. you are you more confident in their goaltending now? Um, I, I'm confident in what I've seen of late. Uh, are my confident in the goaltending in general? I mean, we'll we'll see a lot. It's still a smaller sample size from, you know, it's growing, so that's good. Uh, certainly in Edmonton, it's growing. I think they are playing much better in front of the goalie, too, uh, and that's helping as well. And then same in Carolina. Uh, let's hold the, the, the type of game that the Hurricanes play is that, that hard, on-you-all-the-time game and, and giving very little space, and we're seeing that. I also think it's just a little bit of a market correction. You know, I mean, look, Edmonton wasn't as bad as its record was. Uh, when Jay Woodcroft was let go. No way it was as bad as his record was. It was just one of those things where it kind of just, you know, just kept getting out of control. Uh, Carolina w- was very inconsistent, but the Carolina Hurricanes for years have been one of the most consistent teams in the league, right? So it doesn't just, it didn't just happen overnight that they became inconsistent. It was just, it was a struggle for them a little bit, and they went through it. And look, Vegas is going through it right now, right? I mean, it happens. Um, market corrections happen too, and that's what we've seen here, I think, from Carolina and from Edmonton. And I, I fully expected it from Carolina. Can't say I 100% expected it from Edmonton. I expected McDavid to get red hot, and with that, I expected the Edmonton Oilers to start winning some games, just simply because you catch fire, right? It was bound to happen. But it's been a—I talk about a small sample size with the goaltending, but I think it's been a big enough sample size with the way the team has played to say they've got something figured out and they've got an identity that's working now as opposed to just saying, all right, 97, you go out and do it for us. Dan, uh, there's a lot of young players lighting up the league, and uh, one of them is making his debut tonight. I guess the Rangers felt uh, Brennan Ottman was ready. I know there's injuries, so I guess it's accelerated. But what's the expectation, and are they excited in New York? Well, What's interesting is I'm actually standing in Madison Square Garden right now, and Brennan Offman is going to be opposite his two-time World Juniors teammate, Connor Bedard, tonight. Um, and there is uh, – I think Ranger fans do have a level of excitement for this guy. You know, I mean, he's the number 16 pick in the draft a couple of years ago, the 2021 draft. So he's not a number one pick or a number two. He'd be here already if he was in that situation. So a 16 pick, he takes a little time, played it out in juniors. Uh, got a taste of professional hockey, and has played well in Hartford. I'm really impressed when I've spoken now with Brennan Offman a few times. Here's a guy who understands. Not everybody does, but this guy has talked about it, and he has acted upon it And in terms of understanding that the way he played in junior hockey got him to the NHL. It is not what is going to keep him in the NHL. Uh, and he has worked on that in Hartford, the details of the game. He talked about it again this morning. 
stick position, body position, defensive zone, uh, you know, coverage and transitions out of the defensive zone. They even said, like, in junior hockey, you're relied on the score, and you just put up the points, and the points are what matters, and that's what you're worried about. You're not worried about the stick position in the D zone. You're worried about flying out of the zone, and you go, yo, go, right? But he's worked on this in Hartford, and he's put up points too, 23 points in 28 games. And so he earned it. I mean, this is the thing. Like, he, he didn't just get a call-up because he's a first-round pick and they want to see what they got. He earned his way here with the way he's played in the first quarter-plus season with Hartford. So now let's see what he's going to do. He's put in, being put in a softer position, a landing spot that's a little soft. He's going to play on the third line. Nick Benino's the center, and Johnny Brodzinski, we played with in Hartford, are going to be is the, is the opposite uh, right wing. So it's not going to be like, hey, all right, Brennan Offman, we need you to go score. It's, all right, Brennan Offman, go play your game. You're going to probably pay about 13, 14 minutes. Go play your game, and let's see where you wind up at the end of the night. And I think that's a good thing for this kid. But there is definite excitement among Ranger fans. I tweeted about it earlier today, and the Ranger fans are all commenting to me like, yeah, finally, finally. It took a little time, but he's here. Speaking of young players, uh, the Buffalo Sabres. Seems like they're going backwards. And a lot of these guys are either in their prime or approaching it. And statistically and everything else, like they're going backwards, what do you think is going to happen there? Do they sell the firm? Do they – I mean, there's some older guys I guess they could trade, like Johnson, um, Olafson maybe. But what do you do there? Do people get fired? Listen, I think you got to see what the Buffalo Sabres are at the end of the season. Because I think we – and I wrote about this this week in my weekly mailbag. I am – I know 100% me – I'm guilty of overvaluing them the start of the season. I saw what they did at the end of last season, specifically in the last 12 games of last season. They climbed the standings. They win nine of their last 12 games, points in 10 of them. And what happens? They finish one point out of the playoffs. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, all right, Buffalo Sabres are on to come. Here, they're ready, right? They're still a really young team. Like you say, a lot of guys are near their prime. I think Owen Power is not close to his prime. Dylan Cousins is not close to his prime. Darlene may be getting there, right? I mean, he's getting there now, Darlene. Um, there, there's other guys there, too, that are just kind of nipping at that area, but they're not there yet. And the other thing about it is, look, Sage Thompson's been hurt. Alex Tuck's been hurt uh, at times this season, and they're not getting the same level of goal production either. Their goals against, ironically, through 38 games this season is exactly what it was through 38 games last season. But they're not scoring as much as they were. And I think you need to give it time. The more change we have in Buffalo, the further it sets them back. And it's been change after change after change. But let's see where they are at the end of the season. Let's see if they can get on a run. I'd give Don Granato a chance to, to coach this team back up and see if these young guys can take that step. They started to do it last season. They've taken a step backwards. But that doesn't mean to me that it's blow-it-up time. I mean, it's a very young core still. Dan Rosen from NHL.com joins us. Dan, we've talked a lot about goaltending for teams, and maybe one guy that's kind of been under the radar because they're winning. The Colorado Avalanche have 51 points, tied for the second most in the NHL. Now, they've played 38 games, so the other teams have games in hand. But Georgiev has started 31 of 38 games, with the most in the NHL. He also has an 898 save percentage and a 2.9 goals against average. Like, how concerned are you that A, they're overplaying their goalie and B, maybe they don't have a good enough goalie to go deep in the playoffs? Well, they're overplaying him. There's no question about it. That's a result of not really trusting what else you got at this point. It's an overplay. Uh, 31 out of 38 is too many games. And, you know, like, 
we we're in an era now where you know the analytics all tell us 55 right i mean yeah. you're in the 50s um if you get into the 60s you're t- you're running into the playoffs with a tired goal okay and unless that goalie is andre vasilevsky or connor hellebuck where they're accustomed to it and their bodies are used to it I can't say that Georgiev is that guy. Um, so, yeah, I think there's concern. They're, they're scoring. I mean, they're elite in that department. They're, are they great at defending? No. They, they can score. And now they need saves at times, too. And I think he's good. There's no question about it. I'm actually – he was here in New York, and I was like, I don't know if this guy's ever going to be a number one goalie. He's proven me wrong in that department. But – I think they need to pull it back on him a little bit in the second half. And he needs to, you know, get those numbers up a little bit because I don't know if I'm going into the playoffs and I got a goalie at a sub 900, I'm not a hundred percent thinking here. Like I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm, I, I have concerns in that. If that's the case. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Dan, great stuff, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the uh, heavy slate 13 games tonight. We appreciate your time. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. That's uh, Dan Rosen from uh, NHL.com around the NHL, brought to you by McDonald's. And uh, speaking of McDonald's, uh, shout out to uh, Ronald, Ronald McDonald's house, which uh, does just a fantastic job in our community for so many families uh, who've got sick kids. And uh, you know what? I didn't even realize this just until lately, but they're undergoing uh, a big expansion there because there's such a shortage of need. And even with the expansion, which is going to double their beds, that still would only uh, get to about uh, 60% capacity of what's needed. So, um, uh, great job and uh, all the local everybody uh, with McDonald's who helps out uh, Ron McDonald House. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll speed things up with Livingston on the Jason Greger Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Day afternoon. How are you? Remember, turn your lights on, please, as you uh, get make your way home. Safer for everybody. Safer for everyone. It's time now for the Racing Report brought to you by Cantork. They have a brand new website, improved navigation, more production, more product information. And as a bonus, you can watch uh, every episode of the Racing Report right there at cantork.com. As Colin uh, Livingston joins us uh, live in uh, studio. Uh, Colin, happy uh, new year to you. Uh, I guess we'll start out a little bit of a somber uh, News uh, in the in the sporting world, of course, uh, uh, Gilles de Ferran uh, has a has a heart attack, uh, unexpectedly passes away at the age of uh, of eighty six at an event in 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 Florida. And uh, you know, he was a guy you were you had given me some stats earlier, so I don't want to claim that these are from you. Not uh, I didn't know this, but he back when cars used to go like two hundred and fifty miles an hour, he would have lap averages averages of two hundred and forty miles per hour, and he holds the closed course land speed record of 241.4 miles per hour at Montana uh, from 2000. Like, that's crazy fast. Yeah, two corrections. He was 56, not 86. I thought he said 56. Nope. Oh, did I? That's okay. okay. And um, at Fontana, not Montana, sound sound close, but not quite. But yeah, Fontana Speedway in California, uh, two mile oval. um, You know, it was a that was a really, really scary track. uh, Not to, um, you know, move too far off topic with Jill, but Fontana is also the track that um, Greg Moore was killed at, um, you know, uh, which was Halloween 99. Um, The speeds there were were crazy. Um, it was a more sweeping track than Texas. Texas was the track that they actually shut down. They actually canceled the race because the G-force loads were so high and so sustained that drivers were actually blacking out as they were driving. They were like physically blacking out 
behind the wheel at 245, 250 miles an hour. But getting back Jeez. to Jill, um, yeah, I, such a like. There are some people in racing that are known for being really good. There are some people in racing that were known for being, you know, really friendly, really nice. Um, Jill was one of the guys that was just universally respected, universally liked, but was equally talented. You know, he won a bunch of races. He won championships. He won the Indy 500. So he had a, like a, a really, really impressive open wheel career. And considering that he came up through the European series, being able to adapt to ovals is not easy. When when you learn how to drive on a road course, to take those skills and 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 transfer them. I mean, it's like trying to go from hockey to soccer. They're 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 both physical activities, but the skill sets are totally totally different between them. So, um, yeah, shocking because again, fifty six isn't that old. I just turned fifty, uh, so this is. Uh, you know, this this kind of hits closer to home. But, um, you know, a lot of these guys are still like, you know, obviously tag still racing at 50. Um, you know, a bunch of these guys, you know, Castro Nevis is into his 40s. They're still racing. They're still competitive. Um, so to have, you know, have this happen, you know, it, it really hits um, it hits hard within the world of motorsport. And I know uh, within their community, again, we did that race last year, the uh, the Legends Cup. So I got to, you know, kind of be around a lot of these guys that raced in that era, you know, uh, Paul Tracy and uh, Michelle Jourdain and, um, you know, uh, Bruno Junker and, you know, countless others and the the camaraderie that they have. You know, yes, they were vicious competitors and you can find countless clips on YouTube about, you know, Alex and PT fighting or the, the you know, uh, you know, Juan Montoya getting into scraps with other like it, it happened. But the the respect that the guys had and the 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 bond that these guys built is is unbreakable. And, you know, these guys still stay in touch. So when, you know, one of the brothers, one of the, the band uh, goes on, it, it, it hits hard. And uh, another big name in the racing world, uh, uh, Kale Yarbrough, was 84. Yeah. Uh, he is a sixth all-time in NASCAR wins, got 83 tied with uh, Jimmy Johnson. He won, like, the Daytona 504 times. Like, he, he had the most poles in a season of 14. Like, if you're a NASCAR fan, he was one of the greatest of all time. Absolutely. Like, vicious, fierce competitor. Like, he got a start. He, he actually was a boxer before getting into racing. Um, but, you know, my all time favorite and the, the thing I think, you know, if you've been around racing for any amount of time, the, the clip that always stands out and the thing that always stands out is the 1979 Daytona 500. And it was unique for, for a bunch of reasons, but most notably, it was the first time the Daytona 500 was broadcast on network TV. Okay. Um, he was uh, fighting uh, Donnie Allison for the lead. Allison was first. He was second. He got a good run, um, you know, coming out of turn two. Starts moving down to, you know, had the pass. Allison blocked him. And the interview, there, there's so many interviews where Allison will say, like, hey, he still had room. He drove onto the grass. You listen to uh, Yarbrough. He's like, listen, he drove me onto the grass. And once that happened, there was nowhere for me to go. These guys make contact leading the race, take each other out. But then what happens is they kind of get collected in the same general area and they start fighting. Like they took the helmets off and they start going, you know, toe to toe. 
you know, obviously yelling back and forth and the camera didn't pick up all the audio back then. But this is the first time that, you know, the the entire nation got to see the Daytona 500. And, um, you know, Richard Petty went on to win it. You know, he wasn't in the race at all. But, you know, because then these guys were like a mile ahead. But, um, yeah, I mean, shame to see, you know, these these legends go, you know, obviously at 84, you know, he'd lived a good life. He, you know, um, you know, had a bit of sickness. Then that's what kind of got him in the end. But, uh, yeah, unfortunate to see. Um, you know, uh, two two big names go so quickly. Colin, in F1, they're discussing engine development right now. Are they moving in the direction of battery power, do you think? Yeah, I mean, the the hybrid, the turbo hybrid engine's been around for a while, um, and they're kind of going in a direction that by 2026, it's going to be about 50-50 between the combustion engine and the battery side of things for how it's powered. But today, um, F1 announced that they're going to start taking their cues more from the manufacturers so that what they're developing is more relevant to where production cars are going to go. So that mm. could be, um, you know, moving more in the way of battery, but it could also be moving in the, the way of hydrogen power, which is an emerging technology. It could be going towards biofuels. So, you know, the, the contract or the agreement that, that kind of hits in 2026, I think it's going to be a, a four or five year deal. And then once, once that kind of plays its way through, then you're going to start to see, you know, more, more focus or more um, development going towards the commercial side of things. And, and what F1 is going to adopt is what's going to end up, you know, kind of uh, permeating into uh, streetcars. You mentioned hydrogen power. What would be the challenges there? It's just unproven and it's not really developed and trying to figure out how to um, you know, how, how to make it feasible. I mean, obviously when you have isolated hydrogen uh it can be a very bad thing so trying to figure out how to keep the the you know the hydrogen oxygen um you know to be able to blend them properly to be able to use the combustion of the hydrogen with without having that reactive explosive force that's going to be the big challenge um but the plus side is that the the end result the net the net byproduct of a of a hydrogen reaction is water so there's no emission there's no environmental impact um, so it becomes a lot more readily available. Uh, F1, we're just uh, just under two months away from when it gets going in uh, in Bahrain. And, of course, uh, NASCAR, IndyCar. Uh, NASCAR, I think, it starts next month, or basically a month today, I think it is, um, February 4th. The, the final month, was, or two months, I guess, for F1, Colin, because we've had a few texters one like, is most of their testing like not that it's done right now? They're just trying to fine tune it. But what like what do they do in the final two months, and what are the rules that they have to adhere to? You know, to is there a limit on how many hours or what you're running for testing in the off season? How's that work? Oh yeah, there is no testing right now. Uh, the only thing that they're allowed to do if they put cars on track right now, they have to be at least three years old. Generally, they they can't use current generation drivers. They've got to use aspiring drivers. Okay. Um, the new car, the 2024 car won't be ready you know they've obviously been in production for a long time but they won't really finalize those cars for like the next couple of weeks once we get into february then they're going to start doing the car release but what you see is never really what they're going to bring to the track because they don't want to 
you know, they don't want to give away too many of their secrets. You know, again, when you see these these car unveilings, the bodywork is likely going to be slightly skewed. It's it's, you know, uh, to, to use the the the. Uh, the mafia turn it's like a fugazi it's it it looks kind of similar but it's they don't want to show and they don't want to tip their hand too much the first official test is the week before the race in bahrain in bahrain so that's that's really going to be the first proper test the week or two before the the test in bahrain they have what's called a media day or you know a photography day where they can put the the cars on track and generally because the teams are mostly based in the UK they'll go to Silverstone they let the cars go out on track it's a very finite um mileage i think it used to be 100 kilometers they can do up to 200 kilometers but this is also where they do you know they'll follow uh, a photo video truck so the truck is going to do you know kind of the 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 front back version they're going to f- do some following they're going to do some pass by so they have to acquire a lot of the media it's the quick shakedown. They're not going to run the cars at full capacity. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very limited because the cars just aren't done yet. But the, the rules are absolutely specific that there's one test day that you're allowed a year. And that's the, the week before, um, the official race. The only other thing that they do is the, now, when you say testing, that's with a driver, because they're obviously on a simulator somewhere, are they not? Like they're testing everything out in like a in a in a garage. They got to be doing something. Obviously. Yeah, there's there's sim time for sure. Okay, um, but they're they're super restrictive with wind tunnel testing, so they can't just like put the cars in there. But eight how hours do they monitor that? Like, how would they know if somebody's doing it? The teams have to audit what they do. They're, because they have, you know, most teams don't have their own wind tunnels, but even the ones that they do, they have to document and, and there are, there are scrutineers that check all this stuff. How, how do they know a hundred percent? I can't answer that yeah. properly because I don't have that level of contact with the sport. But, um, when Red Bull got in trouble a couple of years ago for going over budget, the penalty was that they had additional, like aside from monetary penalty, they had reduced wind tunnel testing the next year, in addition to how much they lost for winning the championship. Um, now you mentioned you just turned 50. So, and I know, I know you've, uh, you've committed to the uh, challenge of America's cart race. Yeah. Is there a seniors division now? Boy, wouldn't that be nice? Um, I'd probably be on my own, but, um, yeah, I'll be doing the, uh, there's, there's three races starting the first weekend in February, um, next race in March, and then the last race in April between Tucson. Uh, one, uh, one weekend we run clockwise, one weekend we run counterclockwise, and then. Now, um, are, are you like Zoolander? Can you only go one way? Can you turn both? I can't answer that because at Tucson, I've only run in one direction. So, but I ran so poorly, I might as well have been going the other way. Like the first time I raced in Tucson in a shifter cart was my first ever time in a shifter cart. I didn't test. I didn't practice. I didn't study and the track map. it was clockwise? Map. It was counterclockwise. Counterclockwise. Yeah. Is it that noticeable of a difference counterclockwise to clockwise when you're racing? Oh yeah, they're yeah, okay. they're completely different tracks because the the braking zones all change, your viewpoints change. The you know, we've we've tried to run the opposite direction at Warburg and the track just doesn't race. Yeah, it doesn't. Well, work. it's 2 seconds a lap slower going the other way. Okay. And there's just there's really only one area to pass and I'm not going to say what it is cuz we don't ever do it, and if we ever do that again, I've got a little bit of an advantage. I technically, I still hold the track record for the 
clockwise lap at Warburg. I'm still, I still have one kudo to my name. Um, but yeah, the, the shifter thing, it, it is, it's a big deal. That's the top of the food chain. I'm not really prepared. So my next four weeks are going to be really geared to putting away all the, the, uh, Christmas festivity, fest, festivizing all the delicious beverages that I got to enjoy for, uh, uh, one week period. Uh, good diet, lots of training with my friend, uh, Tony scary one over bold athletics and uh, hopefully I can uh, grease my fat ass into uh, into a cart when it's time. Well, uh, good luck at that. Uh, we'll be watching. Uh, so we'll see. I can, you can go left. You just can't go right yet is basically what you're saying. Uh, we're going to find out. Yeah, well, yeah. we'll see. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Colin, thanks, hey, boys. man. There you go. That's uh, Colin Livingston in the race report thanks, brought to you by Can Torque. Uh, well, you think about it, uh, you know, driving everybody who always used to one. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, I know, uh, if, if, TR, you ever driven in, the, in Europe where I would say on the wrong side of the road that we're used to? Have you ever driven there? I have. I had to go over and be Jason Momoa's chauffeur for two months, three months in northern England. Yeah, it was wild. What a trip. How was it driving? Did you know, was it different or was it like two days? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, it was a day. I had to drive from the airport. I'd never, I, I flew in and yeah, I, I landed and then I had to meet the boys at a castle in uh, North Umbria. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it, it was altogether bonkers, but I did get used to it. Now, it helped that I wasn't in London or even Newcastle. I was north of Newcastle in, in no town that was bigger than 10,000 ever, and that would have been big. We were staying in small little places. Okay. Northumbria, man. It's like I'm watching Last Kingdom right now. I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, it, it is. The- we did the castles in North. It was all, it was season three of Frontier. Okay. And it's based around that. And, you know, Momo was becoming a star. The budget got a lot bigger. And his, his personal assistant had to attend to something for a few months. I believe she had a death in the family. So she went back, took some time off, and he said, hey, do you want to come over while we do this? And I'll put you in. That's how I got in there with him and did some stunts and stuff. He said, you might as well learn if you're going to be around me. And really, it wasn't hard to be his assistant. He was an easy guy. You know, he just, hey, let's go to the bar and bring my – we'd go over his lines and stuff, you know, over a pint. 
maybe take the car out and look at the countryside. We visited some cool castles, shot in three or four of them. Uh, so, I mean, as far as the driving, that you know, it wasn't hard because there wasn't a lot of traffic, but uh, it was a different experience and one that I'll never forget for yeah, a lot of reasons. I, I've got to. I went over to Norfolk and and toured the castle there, and like the history is amazing, right? Like they, oh, you know, they man, had guillotines yeah. in this, and they had like dungeons where they used to hold people in, and just to walk around it was utterly amazing, and to get inside of it, and of course, you know, the duke's still living there in the one part of the castle because it's so huge, right? Like when you got into a castle, it's just like, oh my, people live here, like it's a different world, man. It was, it was my, it was yeah, eye-opening, too. and the roads were so narrow. That's the only thing I remember is just how narrow, so the roads narrow, were. yeah. It's great. And you're going back, like I said to the guy, I said, I'm from the oldest city in North America, and I was really like Ted Hitchcocking it up, you know, I was talking like this, because the boys were like, what part, what part island are you from, me son? I said, I'm not, I'm from Newfoundland, I was, I was getting, I said, we're the oldest city in North America, and he said, my son, I got, this fence is older than that, and he was painting the fence, and he was true, he was right, I was, look, I was in this courtyard, I said, God, you're right, oh, well, yeah, I, the castle went back to like 1200, anyway, I could go on and on, you see what I mean, you've been there and seen it? wild stuff. It, it was unbelievable and we went actually uh, um when I I went there with my girlfriend at the time and um mm. her she, her cousin had married a, a Brit and uh, so we went and we had lunch at uh, his at her in-laws basically and the front entrance of their home was built in 1520 and <laughs> you know I'm 6 feet when I walked in the door I felt like a giant I did duck down because back then people weren't tall Right. Like they were yeah. just, we're sh shorter society and the front entrance of their house. And then to go up the stairs in the one era, I was just like, how the hell are you fit? Like it was so, I couldn't believe it, but it, it was so cool. Cause that's where you really see history. And you know, if there's one thing in Canada, we need to do better. I was stop tearing down our old buildings. Otherwise you got no history later on. Like you're talking walking into a place that had been around for 500 years or at the time it was about 480, but still it was, uh, it was utterly amazing to me. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. Yeah, that. and you, it's interesting. If you're from around here or been, you, you'll see that we tackle, we run into a lot of, what's the word? Not controversy, but there's a little bit of adversity downtown with tenants. Because a lot of times, like downtown is a heritage site. So if you buy a house down there, you you, you buy it. And, and But if you want to renovate it, it got to go through the city. Yes. For that reason. They don't want to ruin anymore. They don't want to take. And I, I really appreciate that. And most people do or else. It wouldn't keep going this long. I think I think it's a it's a known thing if you're from here and you want to move downtown, let's preserve it. And we've started to do that. I know that Newfoundland being again, like St. John's goes back to the early sixteen hundreds. Right? We're talking like way earlier than a lot of other places in our unified Canada, right? Like yeah. way earlier. Oh, way so, earlier. You know, so I even when I did folklore, that was one of the courses we took was like, you know, in in folklore it's it's really interesting. It's a story or it's, it's stories and traditions. And I mean, everything's folklore. So you got to kind of pick an area to focus on. But I did a lot of Newfoundland folklore and, and superstitions and stories that have passed, you know, passed, been passed down traditions. And um, one of the things now that we're doing here that people are conscious of, we're cleaning up like there might be gravestones there. Not that I don't mean to be morbid, but I mean, they go back to like 1602. Oh, yeah. I'm going, whoa, where Danny Cleary's from is actually, the, that, that's Cupid's is in Harbor Grace. That's in Conception Bay North. And we're all on Conception Bay here. Like, basically, there's north, central, south, right? They're the main populated places. And John Guy settled in Cupid's in 1602 or three, and then St. John's shortly after. And, you know, the, it, we, we've got on the West Coast is where the uh, proof that the Vikings landed 
uh, Eric the Red, all uh, oh, Lanso Meadows, it's called. Going, it's beautiful area, but uh, so the course of Newfoundland is actually part of three continents, and the geology is really interesting. But the actual people that have settled here and made a mark, really interesting. But a lot of those things now are starting to yeah, they're 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 great and they're nice for our heritage. But now we've, we're running into the we've got to preserve these things one way or the other. You know? Yeah. Well, we we are in a town. He throws heat just about an hour outside of London. And uh, they went to the pub, and on the way, we're walking home, and like they're by like a cemetery, and the locals are like, ah, oh, whatever. And you, and so we're through the cemetery, and you're showing the lights, and you see like gravestones from, you know, fifteen twenty eight until, and I was just like, what the hell is going? Like it was stunning. So yeah, it's, it's wild. Uh, it is wild, and it's it's cool for anybody to, to want to go travel and see some of the place. You get a little bit more history uh, over in Europe for sure. Uh, we're a little late. We'll get to uh, sports fourteen forty update. Brought to you by Fountain Tire. We talked about it earlier. Tr figured out he knows how to change a tire. Trust me. They can change all your tires, but they do more. They got lots of other services. Find out all that they offer at FountainTire.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas... You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 